0: Morning, Glory, America, Bonjour, hi, Canada, greetings from the ReliefFactor.com studio. I am not in Florida. I don't think Dr. Larry Arn is in Florida, and therefore Dorian does not concern us, but we encourage all of our friends in Florida to be very alert. Dr. Arn, are you up in Michigan? They never get storms in Michigan, just snow, right?
1: Yeah, no, we get storms, and, and they're pretty, unlike in Florida, where they tear your house down.
0: They t- they, yeah, it is a serious Category 4. By Tuesday, we'll know when we come back live. But today is the Hillsdale Dialogue, last radio hour of the week. Dr. Arne joins me as the president of Hillsdale College. For most of these, we discuss important pressing issues where we go in the Wayback Machine. Next week, we get in the Wayback Machine back to Homer as we start a series on the Iliad and the Odyssey with a new translation. Who is the translation by, Dr. Arn?
1: Joe Sachs.
0: S A C H S. S A C H S, and uh, I'll post that. I'll tweet it out so people can be ready for us. And I'll try and give a little advance warning. We're going to begin with the introduction, are we not?
1: We are, and uh, we should mention to people that there's an, the, the standard old prevailing translation forever and ever is translated by A. L. Rouse R O W S E R O U S R O W S E I think, and uh, and that's significant. It, it's pretty good. It's good. But there's a reading of it by a man named Anthony Heald, H E A L D, by uh, on on Audible or books on tape, and I was driving back from Cleveland yesterday, and I listened to it for three hours, and I've hardly ever spent a better three hours. So that's the way oh, to do it. Oh, Anthony Heald. Heald, yeah. It's just, it's just you know, it's uh, you know, here's the way it goes. You know, first of all, the, the it's about a war, you know, and, and there's all these soldiers. And they're all proud, and they're all full of honor, and also often cowardice. And so they, 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 uh, Agamemnon will say to Menelaus or Achilles, whom he fights with, all the time, "What a thing to say!" <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> and they, and you know, before they can fight, you've got to read for about, you know, three thousand words. Uh, Agamemnon goes walking among the troops, right? And then every commander is described and every unit and the place where they kind. So it's a tour of ancient Greece. And it's just hilarious and great.
0: We will begin that next week. This week we begin with something that is both comic and tragic. And that is the turn that British politics has taken to... Uh, one would say the most mayorum of Great Britain may or may not be in danger, depending on who you listen to. I'm going to read you a Financial Times editorial as we go along. But first, I am sure you are as absorbed in this as I am. Chuck Todd said yesterday, but for his audience, he'd cover it every day. It is a moment of high drama in the United Kingdom right now. Highest drama. What do you think is going on?
1: Well, uh, first of all, there's a a breakdown and a very stable you know, way of governing. It's the oldest parliamentary democracy, the mother of all parliaments. But the breakdown is between two things. It's between the direct will will of the people, as expressed between in a referendum, and the majority and the minority in the parliament. And because referendums are not, you know, they're not unknown, and they're they're just not common, uh, and. So what happens in a case where the people vote one way and the parliament doesn't do what it says? And you know, they called an election, everybody announced out loud, all the parties, by the way, that they would abide by the results of the election. That was when they were all confident that that Leave was going to lose. And now they're not doing it. And it's hard to trace accountability to exactly who is responsible for that. Because uh, Parliament is a many-headed beast. Uh, It's a coalition government that commands right now a majority of one vote. And there's been a change of leader at the head of that coalition. And, the the, well, there have been two, actually, because David Cameron is the one who called the the referendum, resigned when it didn't go his way, the right thing to do. Theresa May, who also supported Remain, uh, took over and dithered and didn't do. I mean, we've talked about that. She just did about as bad a job as you can imagine anybody doing. And, you know, immediately a very difficult thing. And so now this uh, whirlwind has become Prime Minister of Great Britain, and he's got one idea. Our party called this referendum, it won. We're going to do it. We're going to do it.
0: <laughs> and it's a great idea. It is an, it, By the way, the simple appeal to the basic bedrock of democracy is not a bad platform on which to fight a general election.
1: No. And, you know, they're both, you can see, you know, the spirit of things, right? Since they, you know, since long before they beheaded Charles I, you know, in 1628, they, uh, they They've, you know, the, what is it, sovereignty has been widening in Britain. And so both sides are now saying, so the, the, you know, the many people, and it's probably a majority in the government, and a majority of the London elite, and a majority of the professional elite all over the country, they don't want to go. And those are the people who talk really great. And so they say, this is a failure of democracy, because Parliament, is being subverted and so both sides are now claiming that the other one is a failure of democracy you know
0: what I, what I read yesterday in BuzzFeed, and I have since confirmed that it is indeed in the British press as well. One of the tools that Boris Johnson and Dominic Cummings, who is his Bra um, Putin, his number one aide his uh, major domo, have put on the table is packing the House of Lords as a means of stopping any uh, effort to delay Brexit beyond October thirty first. They they're willing to do a deal, and this is by the way the only way to get a good deal is to actually have a deadline that is real. That's why Germany's Merkel and France's Macron are actually dealing with Boris Johnson right now. But packing the House of Lords, the appointment of lifetime peers, is not a new thing, Larry R. And I think it goes back to Melbourne and the Reform Bill, if I'm not wrong.
1: Oh yeah, and um, and you know you can you can settle that historical question by saying. It's a political maneuver. It's been around as long as there's been politics in Britain. Yes. <laughs> it, uh, yeah, and they, you know, I mean, it got, you can read it in Shakespeare's history plays, by the way. They, you know, they, they fight a battle to get to be the king. And then they appoint a bunch of people who support them to the Lords.
0: And the Lords, let's slow it down for the Steelers fans and those folks down the road in Ann Arbor. There is a two-party, bar- uh, two-house uh, system in Great Britain. It used to be that the Lords were lifetime appointments and they represented the landed estate. And they are no longer that. Now they are lifetime peers, but they still have a, a somewhat important role it's been diminished greatly correct
1: yeah well first of all the distinction you want is between lifetime and hereditary and uh, and so they used to be hereditary peers that is to say their kids got to do it too their eldest sons uh now many of them are lifetime and and but uh, in fact all peers that have been created for 50 years or more are lifetime peers that is to say their kids don't inherit the title but uh the it's actually true that all of the lifetime peers are not entitled to serve in the House of Lords there's a selection process and the point about the House of Lords is it has right now and since 1911 having to do with Winston Churchill it cannot by itself overturn an act of the British parliament but it can delay yes and since we're coming down to a deadline of october 31 and since under Boris Johnson's prorogation um, – that's an interesting word we can talk about for a minute um, – uh, ends on October 12, they've got, what is that, uh, 11, 19 days in the parliament to stop this no-deal Brexit, if that's where it stands. and uh, and And that means that if they do – then it has to go to the House of Lords.
0: And if, the, if Boris Johnson packs the House of Lords, which currently has 800 peers in it, compared to, what, 650 members of Parliament? Uh, there are 800 members of the House of Lords. So if Boris Johnson appoints 800 more, it'll be hard to get a seat in there, and it'll be hard to get heard, and it will just completely gig, you know, gig up the wheels completely if John Burko Because what is... What is really at, at issue here, and we'll have to talk about it after the break, is the Speaker of the House has uh, ex- has run over the banks of his authority, Larry Arndt. Do you remember any previous Speaker of the House doing what Burko is doing right now?
1: No, that's just, you know, that's, and so that's a breakdown, right? Uh, there's a lot, you know, this, uh, this idea that you can sue in a court to stop Parliament from doing something, That, you know, it just turns out they do not have judicial review in Britain the way we have here.
0: And, in fact, that has failed in Scotland this morning. It's been postponed in Ulster. There are three lawsuits against Boris Johnson's prorogation, which we are going to define for you when we return. Don't go anywhere, America. Only on the Hugh Hewitt Hillsdale Dialogue with Dr. Larry Arn will you actually understand what's going on in Great Britain. For everything Hillsdale, go to hillsdale.edu. For all of our conversations, past, present, and future, go to q 4 hillsdalecom We'll be right back. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt. Friday means the Hillsdale Dialogue on the Hugh Hewitt Show with Dr. Larry Arn or another member of the faculty or staff at Hillsdale College, all things Hillsdale collected, at hillsdale.edu.com. Dr. Arne for many years part of the official biography team under uh, Martin Gilbert in Great Britain. Then he assumed control of that when Dr. Uh, when Professor Gilbert passed, and all of the Churchill documents are now at Hillsdale College. And Dr. Arne is himself married to an Englishwoman who I hope believes is made a peer in the board. I, I nominated her via Twitter for peerage uh, in the in the house. Is, is Penny still a, a British citizen? Yes. All right, then I'm definitely into getting Boris Johnson to appoint Penny to the House of Lords, because then she can finally order you to be quiet. Uh, let me, however, go to prorogation, which I mispronounced all week long until Jim Talent corrected me off air. I got it right in time before you corrected me on air. That's exactly right. Yeah. Tell people about prorogation.
1: Hmm. So in Britain, they have, uh, you know, remember, Parliament is very old, and that means that it's early days. There were hardly any elections, and not many people voted when the elections did come. But in modern Britain, Parliament's—you know—they they, there's a law that says that they last five years or not more than five years. And and uh, before an election, when when the prime minister with the when the queen, on the advice of the prime minister, calls an election. And there are gray areas in all of this, by the way, because let's say the parliament seizes up and they can't elect a leader. The the queen, the power to call an election is actually in the queen. And so she could step in. You know, she'd be very reluctant to do it, but she could step in and it would be perfectly legal for her to do what they do before an election, which is called dissolve a parliament. And by law right now, that's done 25 days before an election. And then they have a 25-day 25, 25 campaign. And by the way, members of Parliament are not allowed to enter the Palace of Westminster during those 25 days, although they're still paid. Oh. And uh, so that's dissolving. But then they love to mark uh, the, the the five-year term of a Parliament into bits, into annual bits. Basically, they love to stop usually in August around the first usually and they love they love to get back together in september and when they get back together the queen comes and gives a the royal address from the throne in the house of lords where the new the the year the annual platform of the government is announced in a speech read by the queen now the process of going for this annual recess but it doesn't necessarily have to be annual is called prorogation, and that word "rogation" is actually a really ancient a an very old word that begins uh in meaning inquire or request and you know pro which, uh means before right yes and it ends up now meaning command <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's only meant that for about four hundred years only yeah <laughs> so it's so it's you know it's that's an innovation. It's like, <laughs> it's like New College Oxford, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's only 700 years old. Um, so so uh, prorogation is really a, a common event. And it usually happens about this time of year. And
0: it's been the longest parliament without one. Uh, in modern time it has gone more than 400 days since the Queen's speech, and we've had two prime ministers, and it goes back to the beginning of the May government. And it usually happens when you get a new prime minister, the Queen comes and gives the new prime minister's speech. So while Boris Johnson may have mixed motives for announcing a prorogation, it is not at all radical to have done so.
1: The, the, the complaint one can make about it, is, one, there shouldn't be one at all, given the urgency of these things. And, you know, by the way, I don't think Parliament's going to be able to do anything about it, right? They're divided up so much. Um, Or two, this is longer than normal. And, you know, it is, it might be as much as two weeks longer, but they're, you know, they're always, you know, two weeks or more. And, uh, you know, because they don't, they go home and... And then the government, that is to say the members of the House of Commons, most senior who have the ministerial positions. And remember, they are creatures of the House of Commons. That's us say, you know, they're going to come back in October 17th, I think is the date. And that's when Boris needs to call an election and send
0: him home for 25 more days. And then they'll be out. Uh, Dr. Dr. Larry (laughs) Horne and I will be right back to talk about what's really going on in Great Britain When we return to the Hillsdale Dialogue, everything Hillsdale at Hillsdale.edu. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt. The Hillsdale Dialogue is underway the last radio hour of the week. All things Hillsdale, including amazing video courses on the Constitution, on Churchill, on the progressive movement. They are all available for your downloading and listening pleasure at Hillsdale.edu, where you can also sign up for the free, I emphasize free, monthly speech digest in Primus which will arrive in your mailbox, old-fashioned snail mail, once a month. And all of the conversations I've been having with my guest, Dr. Larry Arn, or one of his colleagues about matters large and lasting, going back to 2013, are collected at HughForHillsdale.com for your binge-listening pleasure. Dr. Arn, I just tweeted out, Memo to Boris Johnson, When you create new peers, please consider the First Lady of Hillsdale College, Penny Arn, a subject of the Queen, resident in Michigan, but is the spouse of the president of the custodian of Churchill's papers, a perfect peer and bridge builder to the U.S.
1: Oh, wow. You, my, my wife will secretly love that idea, but also be embarrassed by it. Baroness Arn? <laughs> would she be Baroness Arn? Uh... Yeah, I guess so. And then I would be sir.
0: Well, you would. Oh, that's unfortunate. That's yeah, a byproduct. That's a that's an, but now tell me, what would she ba- be Baroness of? Where is her hometown?
1: Well, they don't really appoint them anymore.
0: Oh. Uh, She's a Baroness without portfolio?
1: Well, they sort of use her last name
0: Baroness Arne. Yeah. I am all for this. And yeah, if you're yeah, going to yeah. throw 400 peers in there, you might as well have the First Lady. You are, the, the Hillsdale College is the custodian of the Churchill Papers, and I, I believe you're even done.
1: Well, the, we're the custodian of Martin Gilbert's papers. That's what I meant. Which include uh, a photocopy of just about everything in the Churchill Archive. The actual custodian is... Uh, the Churchill Archive Center at Churchill College, Cambridge, run by a really great guy named Alan Packwood, who's coming to Hillsdale College in November, uh, and so he's got all the originals, and we've got, you know, we've got more than that too, because Martin Gilbert and Randolph Churchill before him researched Churchill for what 1961 until you know, to Martin Gilbert in 2012, when he was incapacitated. And, you know, and I helped do that, too. And so we just went all over the place, you know, all over the world, even, looking for papers. And so, yeah, we've got a lot of, we've got, you know, one of the best Churchill archives in the world. But it's not full of, well, there are a fair number of original source documents that are very valuable. And those we keep in locked cases.
0: Have you finished the publication of all the papers?
1: Well, you know, I'm just a sore spot. Uh, <laughs> oh, good. Oh, good. I've been, I've been saying for a month that we finished it when I finished the preface. And then, darned if I didn't get uh, the acknowledgments to oh, write. Oh, I oh, forgot. oh, And that's kind of hard because, you know, there's a lot of people to thank. And uh, the, ta- the uh, index is nearly complete. And so it's time for me to finish that dang thing. And if I don't finish it on sa- Saturday, I'll be disgraced.
0: Okay. So by this time next week, it will be complete. Yes. Do- now, Doctor Arn, I still I still believe in Baroness Arn, and so please pass that on. I want to play for you, Jacob Rees Mogg, who is my favorite member of Parliament. He is now the leader of the House of Commons. Was Churchill ever the leader of the House of Commons?
1: Uh, yeah, briefly when. Eden was sick. Okay,
0: so he has served in this position. He served yeah. in, I thought, every member. He was He was Chancellor of the Exchequer. He was Secretary for Ireland. He was Home Secretary. He was uh, Lord of the Admiralty. Was there anything he didn't do?
1: Well, he, people like to say the only big job he never got was Foreign Secretary, but the truth is when Eden was sick in 1953, Churchill did that job for several months, but actually now that I think of it, there was another such occasion when Eden was sick during the Second World War, so he did that too. All
0: right, so one of the people in one of the jobs that Churchill held is a fellow named Jacob Rees-Mogg, who's an old-school Catholic and an old-school Brit, and he was on the BBC yesterday being pestered about the claims by Burko and others, Berko being the, 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 the blabbermouth Speaker of the House, and Jacob rees
2: Mogg's responds this way the people who are banging on about no deal and the um, uh, sort of candy floss of outrage that we've had over the last 24 hours, which, to go back to our introduction, I think is almost entirely confected, is from people who never wanted to leave the European Union. And you must bear in mind that this is the greatest period of anger for them, or of confected anger, because after the 31st of October we will have left and this is the last time that they have available to try and thwart the 17.4 That's million people who voted to leave. That's a bleak assessment of, uh, of your colleagues, isn't it? I mean, we have <laughs> Philip Hammond, former Chancellor of the Exchequer. Never wanted to leave and obstruction Never wanted to leave, but nonetheless look at the sorts of things he is saying. Constitutional outrage, profoundly undemocratic, Dominic Grieve, deeply questionable, frankly outrageous, Michael Heseltine, Constitutional outrage. Well, my, John Burko, the Speaker of the House of Commons. Oh, well, I could go on okay, you let, know, the list let, as let, well as I do. Let's deal with um, Lord Heseltine uh, and, and the Speaker because what they had to say is, of course, interesting. Um, uh, Lord Heseltine, as um, Deputy Prime Minister, uh, was party to a 19-day suspension of Parliament uh, prior to the 1997 general election. So it wasn't constitutional outrage then. It is now. I think that's confected anger. M- Mr Speaker's interesting because the Speaker... Um, by convention and long-standing tradition, uh, has no tongue with which to speak or eyes with which to see other than as directed by the House. What he said yesterday was not directed by the House and therefore must be said in a personal capacity not as Mr Speaker. Was it, I was going to use the word illegal, not the appropriate word, but but, but was it improper? It was the most constitutionally improper thing that happened yesterday. (laughs) Dr (laughs) Arn, what do you make of that?
1: First of all, the most constitutionally questionable thing that happened yesterday. There were a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but he's putting he's putting Speaker Burkow at the top. Yeah. If uh, So, first of all, isn't that guy great?
0: Banging on about th- the late candy floss of outrage, confected anger, meaning this is all the children of the House.
1: Yeah, and remember, Michael Hesenton's, uh distinguished career includes helping to bring down Margaret Thatcher. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so it's uh, that guy, you know, he's... Oxford's guy, and you know, really pretty, nice blonde hair. He's, you know, he's the new parliamentarian. He's old now, but he's. We've had the new parliamentarians for a long time, and uh, and so, yeah. I mean, Jacob rees moss what a blessing, and uh, what a blessing that you know. It's among the direct and resolute things that Boris Johnson has done. Putting him in there is one of them. Yes, because he's so clear. And he's so effective, and he's so certain in himself, and then darned if he doesn't practice the Catholic faith devoutly. And he is unflappable. What kind of crazy guy is that? And
0: and he pulled out of nowhere the quote about the speaker, which I believe dates to the 1640s. Oh yeah. Here, Here's a little bit more. Of... Oh, do you know
1: that was said to Charles the first. There you go. <laughs> right. And Charles the is saying, "Where are those guys?" I
0: want to
1: cut their heads off. Okay. Here's cut number
0: two of Jacob Rees-Mogg.
1: Nicholas Sturgeon has said this is a dark day for
2: democracy. I mean, it, it, there is a clear pattern. Oh, okay. Nicola so. Sturgeon would, wouldn't she? Uh, uh, Nicola Sturgeon is the leader of a separatist movement within this country who wants to break up the United Kingdom. You would expect her. If um, the government had said we would celebrate Christmas Day on the 25th of December, Nicola Sturgeon would have been in a state of well, outrage. Okay. That's you, her well, default position.
0: So, so Arne, she is. it's wonderful the way he dismisses in the right way those people who ought to be dismissed for being predictable in their outrage.
1: Yeah. And not quite dismissed explained. Yes. They they and see this the thing is it's to say that this is anti-democratic is is to say that the referendum is not as important as our reading of the of the me- mechanisms of parliament and the most you can say about what Boris Johnson has done is that it's longer than normal, right? But it's not infinitely longer. It's ten days longer or something like that, and and the other thing is, you know, if he'd been as mean as I thought he might be, he might have prorogued Parliament until after October 31.
0: And, uh, and then you would have a genuine uh, argument about what he's up to. Right now, he's just run. He's giving himself time to negotiate seriously with Britain's uh, biggest partners, France and Germany, and the idiots who are Remainers aren't really objecting because of what he's doing. They're objecting because he might succeed. They're not worried that he's going to fail. They're worried he's going to succeed.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and see, another thing is, to do that, to, you know, because he hinted that he might do that, I should say, till after the October 31, but... I, he he's calling him back because he hopes to give him something to vote on. Yeah. Now, and- now
0: there is a responsible critic. Robert <clears throat> Shrimsley is the uh, equivalent of Gerard Baker, the editorial director of the Financial Times. And he writes uh, today that sometimes it is the cleverest wheezes that come back to haunt you. I don't even know what that means. But he went on to say, among Mr. Johnson's allies are those his chief strategist, Dominic Cummings, for example, who take a revolutionary approach to politics, yearning to refashion the old institutions of state. Rather, more of Team Johnson, though, including the prime minister himself, believe in those institutions. Once the fight is won, they imagine normal politics service, normal political service will resume. Jacob Rees-Mogg, the leader of the House, insists that the British Constitution can bend to a passing storm. This may be a fond hope. Parliamentary democracy has been irrevocably altered by the Brexit battle, he says, however. Politics has become so polarized that the reaction is largely divided along leave-and-remain lines. Do you agree with that? We have a minute to the break, Dr. Arn, that there's no going back now.
1: Yeah, well, I guess they're, he thinks they're more polarized than they were in the English Civil War. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's what happens when you have a, a country with a 2,000-year-old history, right?
1: <laughs> It's not. That's, that's silly. And, uh, you know, look, this is, this is fundamental. Right, And that means it's revolutionary. In other words, uh, we, we, they use the word "democracy, but, and you know, what's better democracy? Is it uh, abiding the referendum, doing what it says, or is it uh, uh, abiding the strict forms of parliament that Johnson is said to have violated? But the larger question is, what is the actual popular accountability in any country? of the European Parliament.
0: Well said. When we come back from break, we're going to take that up because that is the rub. Dr. Larry Arne is my guest. All things Hillsdale are at hillsdale.edu. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt. Dr. Larry Arne is my guest. The best criticism of Boris Johnson has come from the editorial director of the Financial Times who writes, Conflict between the legislature and the executive is the essence of Parliament. What is unusual is the extent of the indifference both sides have shown to Convention. With conservative rebels unwilling to countenance voting down their own government, anti-no-dealers sought other paths. They have seized control of the Commons timetable, aided by an activist speaker overturning conventions apparently to assist the struggle. These breaches matter less. A government with a solid majority would not be stopped in this way. But Mr. Johnson has now responded in a far more heavy-handed manner, using prorogation, the normal suspension between sessions, to deny opponents up to five weeks of time curtailing a tiresome parliament is a serious escalation of the constitutional warfare. The right response for a government unable to secure its key policy is an election. He concludes sometimes breaking a code can have greater consequences than breaking a rule. What do you think of that critique, Dr. Arn?
1: Well, you know, the trouble with that is is that there are two codes here, and they're at odds with each other because uh, uh, the— because. Because the, this party, the Conservative Party, hosted the Re- Reformation. And it's worth mentioning, in 2014, David Cameron did exactly the same thing about Scottish independence. And the Scottish people voted in 2014, 55-45, to remain with the United Kingdom.
0: So why, why does it matter that the Tories held the, the, the referendum? Why is that the key?
1: Because more than any other party, all of the parties, by the way, during the campaign for Leave or Remain, endorsed the results of the election in advance. We will do what the people say yes. about this, right? But the but the Conservative Party is the one that called it, right? And so you can say, if you don't have a governing majority anymore, you should quit. And, and that's only a council of prudence, right? Majority When Margaret Thatcher came to power... What she did was she she roped, uh, uh, she, she hogtied James Callahan, the labor leader, because he kept waiting for the polls to get better, and he ran out of time. And there just you know there was a month when he just really had to do it, and it wasn't ready, right? Well, we're not at that time for this government. Nope. And he and he put it off as long as he could, and so that's that's common practice. And, uh, and, you know, how could it not be, by the way? Because one of the things you get if you get a majority in the House of Commons and, and form a government is the timing of the next election. So he can do that when he wants to. And that means, as you said earlier, he can if he wants to. Uh, you know, they come back, they start a bill. He could go ask the Queen to dissolve now, not prorogue, dissolve the government and hold an election, and that takes 25 days. And the big issue in that election would be what happened on October 31st.
0: And and he would say, we implemented your platform. I believe co- conservative Tories who opposed prorogation or the new election would be wiped out in the listing, right? Don't they have to be nominated by local councils?
1: Yeah, and, you know, it's hard to get them all deselected, because who's going to do it? But there would be a lot of challenges, and I would bet that there would be some that would be successful. And, you know, you've got to ask yourself, the Conservative Party, what's better to, you know, in the abstract, and forgetting the the froth and turmoil, which is hard to forget right now, what's better in the abstract to go to the people and say, you voted 52-48 to get out of the European Union, and we called for the vote, and we kept faith, and we're out right and you know when they say fifty-two forty-eight, the numbers were much higher among conservative voters right they voted you know north of 60 percent i think it way north but i don't i'm not sure so so the point is what's a better argument that or you know this was just such a mess and we couldn't get it done
0: and meanwhile the shadow chancellor has compared Boris Johnson to Hitler, and Jeremy Corbyn has encouraged the shutdown of 10 cities in a in a replay of the poll tax riots of the 1990s. What what do you make of the meltdown of the Labor Party?
1: Well, you know, I mean, first of all, they've used Hitler, and they're not going to go to Stalin because they like him rather better. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so they're out of comparisons now, you know. They're done. I mean, <laughs> the devil himself. I doubt, I doubt if many of them believe in God, right? And therefore, the devil, <laughs> the
0: devil can be. <laughs> well, I'm closing off. Would you please go over and talk to Baroness Arn and tell her that I've begun my grassroots campaign and that she must be prepared to get on a plane to London? To I'm
1: gonna. She, I'm gonna make her a cappuccino and take it to her upstairs <laughs> and announce her ascension. Yeah, well it's not a done
0: deal. But I think Boris Johnson does listen to our show, so there is a good chance <laughs> that he will be idea. making Baroness Arne, and then you will be Sir. That is an unfortunate byproduct. Is that the case?
1: Yeah, and I, but you know the the consolation you'll have is. That's kind of weak, isn't
0: it? It is, compared to a Baroness. You'll be known as the husband of Baroness Arne. That's what I like. Dr. Dr. Larry Arne of Hillsdale College, thank you. We will have a result on whether or not they stop the prorogation next week. And we're beginning Homer. Joseph Sachs, S-A-C-H-S. Go get his new edition. We're beginning Homer next week. On the Hillsdale Dialogue. Thank you, Dr. Arn. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Generalissimo. Have a great Labor Day weekend. Stay safe, Florida. I'll be back on Tuesday with the next Hugh Hewitt Show.